Well, you guys remember last week I told you guys that I wanted to uh, take some time and kind of just look at some of the characters from the Bible because the truth is, is when we look at their lives, we can learn a lot from what's going on in their lives, how they handled situations, the good and the bad. How many know it's a good thing that God left the bad parts in so we can learn from it? Amen. You know, that's one of the things that, that uh, I was just talking about. We had a men's meeting um, with some of the Tucson folks uh, yesterday, and I was talking to one of the guys about, about kids, uh, how they, they seem to know everything. And I remember some discussions I had with my kids, and I said, uh, I'm trying to, to, to basically explain to them that they don't need to do this stuff. It's, it's, you know, we want you to, to, to learn from our instruction. She didn't give a book. You, got, you would be up in arms. Like, that, that would be impossible so why won't you let me as your parent instruct you a little bit? Let me help you to avoid some of the stuff that I went through so that you don't have to. But no, we all want to do it ourselves. And I think that's what happens with Christians as well because the Bible's full of stuff that we can learn from if we'll just take a moment and look at what's going on. But instead, we, we tell God, no, let me figure this one out on my own. But I, I tell you, we, we look at these things, we can avoid some of the hardships, some of the struggle, if we would just learn from what has already been put out for us. Amen? So today we're going to talk about the mighty Gideon. So let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads in prayer as we come to it. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that we have the opportunity to come together as a group, as a congregation, to study your word. Father, I pray that we would actually grow this morning, that, that your word would find fertile soil in our heart, that it would produce fruit in our lives, Lord, that we'd leave not the same way that we came in. As we look at the lives of, of Gideon, the life of Gideon today, Father, I pray that we would all learn something from it, that we would come out of here stronger, that we'd come out of here closer to you, that we'd come out of here more mature, and I just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today, I've entitled the message, The Mighty Gideon. God, no matter what's happened in your life, you're not surprising him. He's not going to open uh, a closet one day and find what you've got hidden in there. He knows about you. Or maybe there's too many of us to think that we don't have a high enough social status. Or we don't have a high enough influence to make a difference. And so many of us think that we don't have enough talent or that we're not strong enough. And so many of us think that we don't know enough. I think that's probably the number one thing that Christians uh, cite as the reason why they don't go out and witness or they don't go out and share the gospel. They feel like they don't know enough. I remember telling my pastor that when I was getting ready to start doing this, I felt like I wasn't ready. I hadn't learned enough. How was I going to pastor a church? I don't know everything yet. And he looked at me and he said, you're already, do you know that you already know that the, the, the average Christian in America already knows more than most third world pastors? Because what happens is, is they, we do missionary trips over there and so many times we, they do a great job of, of, of sharing the gospel, converting people, but there's no follow-up, there's no discipleship, there's no training. So they have People, that they, they go over there, they get them saved, they smack them on the butt, call them a pastor, and they leave, and they don't know anything. They do the best that they can. But the truth is, is that you, everybody in this room knows so much more than you think. And if nothing else, you know what God did in your life. The thing is, is that you may not know this, but if you're not gifted, if you're not uber strong, if you're not uber smart, all that, you actually have an advantage. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 126 through 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world. God's not calling you foolish. He's saying what's foolish in the world. Because God's economy is a little bit different than ours. You know that? He says, but God chose what is weak in the world, or what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. See, if you don't have it all figured out, if you're not the strongest, if you're not the smartest, if you don't have, you actually have an advantage because God can move through you. God can do something through you because you're not trying to do it yourself. So today I want to take a look at, at Gideon's life and, and look what it actually means to be a mighty warrior for God. And I want you guys all to be very careful today because I have a lot of stuff to go through. And if you distract me, we could be here all, all day. So just let me go. No distractions. So here we go. First verse. 
Judges 6, 11 through 12. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth that Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now I actually have to take a, a time out real quick and give you guys some backstory of what's happening right here. So we're going we're gonna to read Judges 1 through 10. It says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered, overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the East would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza, leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep or ox or donkey. They would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. At least this time they cried out for help. It wasn't like in the case of Samson when they were just okay with it. But they cried out for help from the Lord. It cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites. The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you, and I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So, Israelites are in a bad place. They're being oppressed. They, they can't even, I mean, they're, they're stuck hiding in caves. They can't, because it gets, gets devoured as soon as they do. They have nothing. And they begin to cry out to God. And God says, look, I already told you who I was. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of, out of slavery. I've done all these things for you. You guys know who I am, but you've not obeyed me. And you know God could have left it at that? Did you know that God's not obligated to any one of us? We don't have a, uh, uh, a trump card that we can pull on him and say, you know what, God, I did this for you, so you have to do this for me. Particularly in this case, because they disobeyed his voice. The, the, basically, how many of they did it to themselves? Most of the things that happen in our life that are bad, we want to give somebody else credit. We either want to blame God. Those of us who are smart enough to know it's not God, we try to blame the devil. But the truth is, half the time, it's not even the devil. He doesn't have to bother with you. You do a good enough job on your own messing up your own life. He doesn't have to get involved. And that's what we do. We, we, we disobey God. We live outside of, the, of the, 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 basically His will for our life. And, and so many people think God puts rules in our lives. He wants us to obey Him to somehow stifle the things that we're doing, somehow to stifle our happiness. But the truth is, is He puts these things in our life to make our lives better. It's just like when you tell your kids, don't go play out in the street, in the highway. It's not because you don't want to take the fun of playing in the highway. It's you want them to not get hit by a car. Amen? So God says, you haven't obeyed me, and this is what's happened. But God could have just stopped there. They did it to themselves. He didn't owe them anything. But how I many you know that God loves us? And He always has mercy on us. And He removes us from what we deserve. That's, a good, that's good news. God removes us from what we deserve. People that aren't Christians, they don't like the idea of Christianity because they have to, to, to take uh, responsibility for Adam's sin. They say, you know, why can't I just get what I deserve? And it's like, you really don't want that. You really, really don't want that. And then we find out that we got uh, Gideon. He's standing in front of the angel of the Lord. Remember we talked about that last week? And when it says that this angel, uh, the angel of the Lord versus an angel of the Lord, and the Lord is all capitals, actually talking about the physical manifestation of God. So this is God literally standing in front of him. And just like most of the people that he shows up in front of first, he doesn't know it. And uh, we see that he does come to this revelation eventually, but he, he's, he's sitting there and God, this is God himself, watching Gideon. And what is he doing? So we got uh, Gideon beating out wheat in the wine press. Because he's got some wheat. And how, what, what do we say happens whenever the Israelites, they farm, they have any kind of crop, what happens? The Midianites come in and steal it, right? They come and devour it. So he's hiding. He's, he's in, this, uh, in this wine press beating out wheat how many know this isn't normal beating out wine press or beating out wheat in a wine press isn't normal you you beat out grapes in a white pre wine press Not, so this isn't normal and he's doing this because he's afraid 
He's doing this hiding from the Midianites. How many of you know that, that when you go through your, your, all the great acts of courage that have ever happened, hiding in a wine press, beating out wheat, isn't anywhere near the top. Any act of valor, we're like, let's list the, 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 let's act, let's list the least acts of valor that have ever happened. Hiding in a wine press, beating out wheat, is not on that list. This isn't the act of courage or valor. This is the act of, of, a, of a timid and fearful man. So imagine Gideon's surprise when God says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. This is interesting. Because not only is, is, is Gideon, we'll see that Gideon doesn't think of himself that way. He's proving he's not that way. He's in a wine press. He's afraid. He's hiding. He's, he's beating out wheat in a wine press, which doesn't make any sense. And God says, You mighty man of valor. I mean, you know that God doesn't see you the way that you see yourself. God doesn't see you the way that you see yourself. Something Joseph said this morning when he, when he talked about the, uh, the, what was the last one you used the, the, in your offering? Fulfilling a prediction. You know, he talked about our, our giving as a fulfilling of a prediction. I think that sometimes God speaks to us as a fulfilling of a prediction. God speaks to us to let us who we really are and not who we think we are, not who the world says that we are. God doesn't see us as the world sees us. God doesn't see us how we see ourselves, but God knows who we are. But more importantly, God knows who you are in Him. Because that's the important bit, is who you are in Him. Because you can be the lowest of the low of failure. You can never have done anything right because you've always tried to do things in your own strength. That's actually why a rich, it says that the Bible says that it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven. It's easier for a to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go into heaven because the rich man figured it out all by himself. He's done everything for himself his whole life. And it's very difficult for people that are too smart, that are too wise, that are too talented, that are too gifted. It's very difficult for them to ever uh, come to the conclusion that God gave them these gifts. I know this personally. I made my life uh, a living hell for a lot of it because I figured I had it all figured out myself. And the patience of God was amazing. And finally one day he said, all right, give it a shot. And my world collapsed around me. The thing is, is that God is more concerned about who he says you are than who you say you are. So as we continue on in this story, we go to verse 13. It says, and Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? He, he just calls him a regular Lord. He doesn't think anything about him. He says, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us into the hand of Midian. So like I said, he doesn't realize who this is, but he's echoing the response, actually, of all Israel at the time. They have to blame God. He said, wait a minute, if you're the God that did all these things, where are you at now? You say that, you're the, that the, the, the Lord is the one who brought us out. He's the one that did all these things. That's what the prophet said, right? We looked at, uh, when I was reading in uh, the, the first ten verses there, towards the end, the prophet said that, that he was the one that led him out. And he says, the one that did this, where are you? Anybody ever felt like that? Where are you, God? Whenever we see that there's a distance between God and people, how many know it's never because God walked away? It's always because the people walked away. We know this is true because we know the whole story. We can see that they were disobedient. And matter of fact, if we look at our own lives, any time that we've ever felt distant from God, if we'll actually take a step back and look, we'll realize that it's always been us that's backed away, that we've turned away, we stopped spending time with Him, we stopped focusing on Him, we stopped spending time in prayer, and then we go, we wonder where God is at. Particularly when times get hard, because too many Christians use God as some sort of like uh, the holy slot machine or something. They think that, that whenever they need Him, they can run up and pull the lever and they'll get what they need, but as soon as they got what they need... They'll go do whatever they want. But the problem here is that Israelites had walked away from God. They were being disobedient. They, were, they weren't doing the things that they were supposed to be doing. They chose to walk away. And they chose something else over God. And you know what? God is the perfect gentleman. You guys ever heard that said? Because he will let you go your own way and reap the consequences of your actions. You know, that's the thing we learn here is that Israel went their own way and they're reaping some terrible consequences. But what are they doing? They're blaming God. 
we often do the same thing. I look at, even in my own life and the lives of others that I've, I've spoke to, we so quickly blame God for things that he had nothing to do with. We haven't said, taken the time to say hi in months and then something bad happens and we blame God. And he's like, I've tried to be there. I've been waiting, but you won't even let me in your life. You know, we see it on all the, uh, you, on social media, you see the posts come up every so often for the past few years, but we wonder why all this crazy stuff is happening in schools when we've kept the only one out that can make a difference. No prayer, no Bibles, no anything in schools. We find ourselves in a situation where our spiritual life is in shambles and God is far from us. And it's never because of his desire, but it's because we push him away. And I can stand up here this morning preaching these things to you. I'm not, I'm not the, the guy standing back who's always had it figured out and he's looking at, at the, everyone else going, man, if you guys would just get it straightened out, you'd be all right. I mean, you know, most of the time preaching something, it's because God's laid a word in their heart for them and we just get to share it with everybody else. But I, I thank God that he's always there. The Bible says that he's at the door waiting just waiting for us to open it and let him in. And unlike what we like to feel, because we always want to feel like it's somebody else's fault, we always want to shift the blame to something else. And we always want to, to, to hold somebody else responsible, which is why God gets such a bad rap. But God has not forsaken us, even though we feel that way. And God hasn't forsaken Israel, even though they feel that way. matter of fact, we find out that he appeared personally to Gideon. Because he's got up with them. So he goes on and he says in verse 14 through 18, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go and this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my class is the weakest in Manasseh and my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, and show me a sign that it is you who speak to me, please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. <laughs> God is so patient. Gideon still doesn't realize who it is. But can you imagine, like, let's just let's take a step down from God, who is the highest authority in all creation. What if it was just the, the president of the United States? And we get a meeting with him. He shows up and wants to, can you hold on a second? I got something else to do first. I'll be back in a minute. Can, can anybody ever imagine the president going, oh, okay, I'll wait for you. <laughs> but he just said this to God. And then, but what I find interesting in this whole story is that we have Israel crying out. God shows up to Midian, or to Gideon, and he says, you know, where is this God? Why are we not free? Why are we not, why are we not set free from bondage? And how many sometimes you know that, how many do you know that when sometimes we pray for something, God actually says, well, why don't you do it? Why don't you do it? That's why uh, I, I love uh, having people pray about the, the prayer that says, you know, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers because the, the laborers. The thing is, when you pray that prayer, you know, the first answer is, it's you. Sometimes, sometimes God just says, well, why don't you get up and go do it? And then we start laying out our excuses. We say, God, can you help me in this situation? And he says, why don't you do it? Oh, no, no, not me. Don't you know anything about me? I'm the least. I'm the least qualified. I'm the least loved. I'm the least liked. I'm the least handsome. I don't usually say that. But the other ones... You know, we start talking about we're the least. We don't have it fair. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. And we, that's what Gideon did. He says, God, do you even know who I am? How can I save Israel when God said you go and do it? He says, go in this might of yours. Did I not send you? So that's the thing that we always forget when God tells us to do something. He's sending us. We're going in the authority of the Lord. We have his strength and his power behind us, but we always want to, to put everything on ourselves anyway. We want to think that we're the ones that are going to have to do it. He says, did I not send you? How can I save Israel? But Lord, I'm, the least, I'm in the least clan, and not only am I in the least, in the least clan. But God says, Has I, have I not sent you? And we look at this stuff, and it's so easy in hindsight to say, Gideon, quit being an idiot. Don't you know that that's God right there speaking to you? Don't you know that if God says that you can do it, you can do it? Come on, Gideon. Get your act together. <laughs> Except for we do it all the time in our own lives. It's different when it's us. 
And we begin to tell things to God like, God, do you even know what you're doing? Maybe you guys don't say that, but I'm sure I've thought that a couple times. And we, we, we begin to explain to God all the reasons why His plan's not going to work. That's what Peter did, right? When Jesus said, get behind me. He says, no, there's no way you're going to die, Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That was, that was Peter trying to tell God how his plan was going to not work. Thank God that God didn't listen to Peter. We could be in a mess right now. But we, we, we begin to explain to God all the reasons why we're not qualified. I know when God called me to be a pastor, I, I had all kinds of reasons why I wasn't qualified. Because I wasn't a very good speaker. I was, afraid, I was nervous to get up in front of people. I hated talking in front of people. I, I, like I told you earlier, like I, I felt like I didn't know anything about the Bible. Matter of fact, many of you will come talk to me today and there'll still be stuff that I don't know. I don't know. Let's figure it out. I don't know everything. I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't do any of that stuff. I just The Lord called me and I said yes, eventually. <laughs> it, it took a couple years <laughs> to get it through my head. But I said yes, and God's used me, and I don't have to have everything. I don't have to know everything. I don't have to have all the answers. I just have to say yes. And God has made a way every single time. And then the next thing that we ask, if we finally figure out that, okay, maybe I can do it, then we go, well, how do I know it's really you, God? <laughs> this could be anybody telling me to do this. I don't know. I mean, maybe the devil's telling me to go witness to that person about Jesus. Makes sense. <laughs> so that's what Gideon does. He says, wait a minute. If I've now found favor in your eyes and show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. So Gideon at this point has got it figured out that, that God is speaking to him, but he doesn't realize it's actually God. He thinks it's just an angel of the, uh, uh, an angel of the Lord come to speak to him. And he, he's figured out that God, show me that it's you. Give me some proof. Because that's the easy one. How many people have asked for a sign? We all do stuff like that. Or you know what my favorite one that I hear Christians doing? Anybody ever played Bible roulette? So when you take your Bible and you... <laughs> that's what God said to me today. That's Bible roulette. We're looking for a sign. But the thing is, is that you know that you're blessed if you believe without saying we don't we shouldn't need signs the truth is we all have enough evidence that god is real and moving in our lives anybody that's had an experience with him but i used to have i used to have this argument with god every time that i would he would ask me to pr pray or, or witness to somebody and i would I really like i would maybe this is a devil trying to embarrass me <laughs> i had i've had to make a conscious effort to to when 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 somebody asked me to pray for them that now I just pray for them right away. I, I used to, anybody do the thing like, okay, I'll, I'll pray for your brother. thing is you forget, you never pray for him anyway. Now I just play, pray for people right away. Actually, if you want to pray for less people, just pray for them right away because after the first second time, they won't come to ask you for prayer. When you're in a group of people in a conference room full of people that ask for prayer, let's pray right now. And you lay hands on them and start praying and they get embarrassed. But the thing is, is that I, I'm not going to be uh, afraid or ashamed anymore. I'm not going to put it off. What God has asked me to do. If God asked me to go pray for somebody, I'm going to pray for them. But the thoughts always run through my head. See, that's the thing is that we all think that we're somehow alone. We see the people around us doing amazing things from God. It's like, man, Joseph, how, Pastor Joseph, how is it that he just seems to be able to talk to anybody? But I know that he has internal struggles just the same as me. And people look at me and they go, man, he's just got it all figured out. And I really don't on the inside. You don't want to hear my thoughts on the inside. I argue with God more often than I would care to admit. That's one of the things that I've always told people. I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem hearing from God. I actually hear from God pretty, pretty regularly and pretty easily. My issue is listening to God. Sometimes, I, 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 much like my kids did to me, I want to tell them I'm going to figure it out on my own. never works out for me. You would think I would learn eventually. Same with witnessing to people. Man, I just, I, I don't know what it is about witnessing. I certainly know that God has gifted me to be a pastor and a teacher. I'm not gifted to be an evangelist, but that doesn't matter because the Bible says to what? To do the work of an evangelist. So I still need to do it anyway, but I'm in turmoil every time. Every time we go do it and knock on doors or witness to people, every single door I come to, my insides are on fire because I, for some reason we think that if we open the door, they're going to scream and yell at us and, and all, the, you know, all the stuff that never actually happens. We always have excuses. 
The thing is, is the devil wants you to generate those excuses. The devil wants you to be afraid. He wants you to never step out and do anything for God because if he can get you to never step out and do anything for God, he makes you ineffective. And then he doesn't even have to mess with you. You've done it to yourself. But then Gideon finally does realize this is God. So Gideon, in verses 19 to 23, so Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah, a flour, the meat he pulled in a basket, and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And then Gideon perceived that, it was, that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. We talked about this uh, last week. But every time that someone comes into the presence of God, they recognize the disparity between them and God, and they expect to die. There's a reverence and a fear of God in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament from, from that, that we just don't have today. We spent so much of our time teaching ourselves that God is our friend, which is true, that we forget that He's our Lord. We remember that God is our Savior, but we forget that He's our Lord. And there's a Uh, there's a a flippancy about interacting with God that just shouldn't be there. Now, I'm not saying that we need to be afraid because the Bible says we can come to His throne with boldness. But there still has to be a recognition. Recognition? Recognition? Which one? Recognition? There we go. There has to be a recognition of who God is. See, that's... I don't know if you guys ever noticed me. I... uh, I mess up words all the time when I preach. I think it's because my head moves way faster than my mouth does. But so many of us are afraid to preach because we think we're going to mess up. I get up and mess up every single Sunday morning. But not one of you have ever said that, that, that man, I, I would have got so much more out of this if you would have never messed up. If you would have just been perfect, I mean, it would have been a great message, but you stumbled that one time. I hope that encourages every single person in this room that you don't have to be perfect to get up here and do something for God. You can mess up even in the midst of it and God will still be faithful. I've had people come up to me and and, and tell me that they've got something out of a message when I thought it was the worst message I've ever preached. Because how many know that that somebody receiving something from me for God has nothing to do with me, but it has to do with Him. It's actually one of the, it's, it's, a tri- it's, a, it's, a, it's a cheat, it's a trick. I'll tell you guys right now. One of the reasons why I put so many scriptures on the, on the, on the screen, because how many of you know that the Bible doesn't say that, that, uh, the, the, that faith comes by hearing the word of Wayne? It says faith comes by hearing the word of God. I put enough scriptures up there, it doesn't matter bad, how, how bad I preach, you'll get something from that because this is good stuff. But I want you to know you don't have to be perfect to get up here and do something. And, and so many times we just have to, to overcome the fear. Because the truth is, is that God wants to use you. You just have to say yes. So I told you guys not to distract me or we're going to be here all night. So uh, that wasn't in my notes. That was, all, that was fresh, brand new, something that nobody's ever gotten before. But God finally figures out. God. God knew he was God. Gideon finally figures out that it's God. And he, he, he does the freak out thing that everybody does. Really, we all should do. If God ever shows up and stands in front of you, I hope you freak out a little bit. And God makes his presence known. He burns up everything. And God becomes so frightened. Or Gideon becomes, man, see what I mean? You guys would all be better preachers than me. We're going to have a sign up after the service. Who wants to preach next? I'm this close to getting Jan to get up here. I can tell. We're really, we're really close. <laughs> but you know what? God cared so much for his people that he came down. He presents himself to Gideon. He answers their cry. And then the story continues on. And, and six, uh, chapter 6, verse 25, it says, The night of the Lord said... To, 
That night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal and your father has, that your father has and cut down the Ashereth that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Ashereth that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men and his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So how many know that sometimes in order to move forward with God, you got to tear down the other stuff that was in your life already? So God says, I want to do something amongst your people. I want, I want to do something amongst the people of Israel. I'm going to set you free, but if we're ever going to get there, you got to stop disobeying my voice and you got to start tearing some altars down that you've built in your life. And now the, the, the people in, in Gideon's clan, the Manasseh, they're going ahead and they're, they're worshiping the, this, this, the, the Baal. They, they've kind of mixed in with the Midianites. They're, they're doing the things they weren't supposed to do. And God says, you know what? If you want to move forward, we've got to tear that down. You see, there's so many things in our lives that, that we let stand in our way of actually doing anything with God. And we have to tear down some of those altars. For some of us, it's, it's sports. Sports get so important that, that we can't go to church on Sunday because a big game is on. For some people, it's, it's their work. Their work is so important that they can't do anything. Some people, it's their, their kids. Some people hold their, 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 their kids before God instead of God before them. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of your kids. You should take care of your kids, but they're still in order of how things go. Some people put their spouse in front of God. And there's all these things that we, we put in place that limits our ability to, to move forward with what God has. You know what probably the biggest one for Americans is? The American dream. Everyone's so concerned about getting that, that house and two cars and the white picket fence that they can't do anything for God because they're all consumed with that. Sometimes we have to tear stuff down that's in our lives before we can move over and have great victory in our lives. And I pray that God would show you if you have any of those things in your own life. I know that I certainly do, and it's a struggle all the time to make sure that I'm focused on what God wants for me to do instead of being distracted by all these other things in my life. And I long for the day when, when I can finally step into full-time ministry so I don't have to be dual-brained between, between a regular job and also what I'm doing here. It's very difficult to, to be split like that, to be serving two things. But I want to I tear everything down in my life that's keeping me away from God and doing what He wants for me. But then we have Gideon who's got to tear down these altars. And then something interesting happens. He says, okay, I'll do it. But let me do it at night instead of the daytime. Now, when I read this, when I read this, I, I, the first time I ever read this, I was, I was disappointed with Gideon. I was, I was looking at him thinking, what is your malfunction, Gideon? You know this is God. What are you, why are you struggling with this? Why don't you just go march in there in the middle of daylight and tear it down? Because it's really easy for us to be, to be uh, 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 critis- critical of what's happening to these people because we have, we have insight we know what's going to happen. We know how it all works out. And I used to think that this was, this was an, a, a description of a lack of faith, but now I wonder if maybe this is a, a description of faith growing. Because just a few uh, scriptures ago, verses ago, don't you love when people tell time by verses and chapters? This happened like a chapter ago. But a few verses ago, he's sitting in a wine press, completely afraid of everything, not talking to God at all because he's probably spending time with, his, with the, the Asherah in, there in the, in the city or in the village or wherever that's at. And he says, okay, I'm going to do it. God, I think you're crazy. I don't think you know who I am, but you said it. I know you're God. You've proved it by burning up the offering, so I'm going to do what you say. But I'm just going to put my toe in a little bit first. But the thing is, is that the, the Bible says that if we have faith like a mustard seed, then we can tell a mountain to be cast in the sea and it'll be cast in the sea. And I've always found that interesting because uh, Joseph has a different, Pastor Joseph always has a different interpretation of this. But every time I read that, I, I see that he says, if not you have faith the size of a mustard seed, but if you have faith like a mustard seed. 
And the thing about a mustard seed is it starts out itty bitty. If you've never seen one, go to the uh, the grocery store next time and find mustard seeds in the seasoning section. They're super itty bitty, but they grow into one of the tallest plants. They they tower over men when they're full grown. And I don't think he's saying have faith the size of a mustard seed and you can do these things because that's silly. What he's saying is have faith like a mustard seed. So that means it's okay if your faith starts out like this. It's okay if your faith is just a little bit, but keep exercising it, keep using it, keep growing it, tip your toe in to start with. And then maybe next time you're going all the way. But you've got to grow your faith. And I, I wonder if that's actually what's happening here. It's not Gideon being unfaithful. It's Gideon, Gideon starting to be faithful. It's Gideon starting to have faith. And he's tipping his toe in the water. And he, he goes out there by night and he, he tears it down. And we don't have time to go through it today. Um, but read about what happens here. It's actually kind of funny about uh, uh, what, what Gideon's dad says. Basically, they pull him down. They all blame Gideon. And Gideon's dad's like, well, if Baal is so tough, have him come out here and defend his own honor. And it reminds me of the time when, when uh, uh, Elisha goes in and he's, he's dealing with the prophets of Baal. And he says, where's your God at? He must be pooping. That's the New Wayne translation, but that's basically what he says. He says, Baal must be pooping, so yell louder so he knows to come. So, anyway, that, we're not supposed to talk about that today. Verse Judges 6, 36-40, he says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that it will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. And when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung out dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. And actually, the rest of the story goes, he says, okay, you did that, but let's do it again. But this time, I want it to be the opposite. Next time, I want the fleece to be dry and do to be on the ground and lo and behold God goes ahead and does exactly what he asks and I'm wondering it's like Gideon what are you doing and this is an interesting story because this is actually we're told not to test God and Gideon does not only once but he does it twice how many of you glad we serve a patient God because every single one of you here has tested God before even though we're not supposed to we serve a patient God and a loving God so he's like all right Gideon I'm going to let you grow your faith. I'm going to let you work through it. And he does exactly what Gideon asked to prove that he is God. And we look at this, and I love it when I read this stuff because I, I, I'm always more so now taken aback at how we, our, our first instinct is to look at this and go, man, Gideon, if that were me, it would have never happened like this. But we always forget that it happens like this all the time matter of fact this kind of stuff happens so much it's a movie trope right god if you'll just let me get out of this i'll serve you forever we make up all the you know the god if you'll just do this for me then i'll just do this for you and every one of us has probably made that kind of request at one point in our lives we do similar things but at least now getting is starting to move forward He's starting to put his foot in the water. At least he's starting. He's, he, at, at this point, he's not running the other way. He's finally starting to grow up. And this is what has been referred to as, as, as laying out the fleece before God or putting out the fleece. If you've ever heard that expression, that's where it comes from, putting out the fleece. And the funny thing is, is it's, he's not the only person that's ever done it. It even happens in the New Testament. Remember Doubting Thomas? Basically, Thomas put out the fleece. He said, God, I'll only believe it's you if I can stick my... Now, who thought this was a good idea? If I see the, the hole in your hands and I can put my finger in your side. There's some weird people in the Bible. I just want you to know that. And they want to do weird stuff. But, but that's, what, that's what he says. You know, he wants to place it in his side. He wants to prove that he's putting out the fleece before God. And we do it all the time. We're always looking for signs. That's where, like I said, we talked about the, the, the Bible roulette. God, if you want me to do this, give me a sign. <laughs> nope, I guess you don't want me to do it. So I landed on a chapter heading. Guess I got lucky. We always look for signs. But finally, Gideon's like, all right, this is God. I believe it's God because I've not only tested him once, twice, Really, this is the third time, right? Because he saw it. He got shown when the stuff was burnt up. Then he did the fleece thing twice just to make sure, to make really, really sure it was God. And then in Judges 7, 1 uh, through, through uh, 3, we're getting ready to, to go to war. Oh, yeah, here's that second half. 
You can read it later. Judges 7, 1 through 3. And then Jerubal. I really need to talk to God about making names easier to pronounce. Do you guys ever read the Bible and, and in your head you pronounce them just fine? Whenever you've got to say them out loud, you're like, I guess I had no idea how to pronounce this. So Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped besides the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hills of Moray and in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. And then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So Gideon's got 32,000 people. Seems pretty good, right? I mean, if you're going to war, seems like that's a good amount of people. But it's all relative to the force you're about to face. So let me read to you real quick what it says in verse 12 of how many people Gideon's about to face. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. Their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. Now, I don't know how many people they had. Actually, none of us do. It's not written down. But it's a lot. It is way more than 32,000 people. So Midian, or Gideon, man, all these Gideons are really... So Gideon is getting ready to go to war. He's, he now believes God. He's like, you know what? I know I've only got 32,000 men. There's men beyond number that we're going against, but God is God. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. And... Uh, 32,000, it's not a lot, but it's enough with God. And God goes, hey Gideon, come over here. We've got to talk for a second. So, uh, yeah, that's too many. I'm going to need you to take some of them home. So I want you to say this to them. If any of them are afraid, let them go home. Now this, Gideon's probably freaking out a little bit on the inside. But this isn't, this isn't something that hasn't been said before. Matter of fact, in, in Deuteronomy 28, this, is, this was the commandment that's found. And the officer shall speak further to the people and say, Is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house. Let us see make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. So Gideon's like, all right. Okay, God, I'm going to do this. It, it makes sense. Like, I see what you're saying. And Gideon makes the announcement. 22,000 people gone. Now he's only got 10,000. 10,000 men versus army unnumbered. But Gideon knows it's God. He trusts God. He's right there with him and, and it keeps going. And then the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink and the, and the number of those who lapped, putting their heads to their mouth, was 300 men. And all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So this is what happened, right? God says, all right, let everyone who's afraid head on home. And, 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 and I imagine he's freaking out. I, I know this because I'd be freaking out. And Gideon doesn't seem to be too much different than me. So God says, Go ahead and, and send 22,000 of them home. You got 10,000. But he's, okay, God, I believe you. I trust you. And then, hey, Gideon, come on over here again. So remember how I said that she needed to send some home and there was too many? Yeah, God, we, we did that. They, I mean, most of them went home. Over a third of them went home. I mean, this is crazy, but I trust you, God. Well, this is still too many. Now, if Gideon hadn't puckered up a little while ago, I know he's about to pucker up because God says, here, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have him go down and, and, and any man that, that goes down on, on, on all fours and puts his mouth in the water and he drinks that way, we're going to send them home. Anybody who, who goes down and stays on one knee and he brings the water up to his mouth, then we're going to go ahead and, and we're going to keep those men. So God and Gideon are watching over the water as they go to get a drink and, and of the 10,000 that are left, 9,700 of them drop down to their knees and stick their face in the water. I don't know if this is a normal way to drink back then. I, the sight in my head is hilarious. Like, there's a bunch of people butts up in the air, face down in the water. Like, 
But like I said, you guys must not read the Bible the way that I read it because I'm trying to figure out what's going on here and this has got to be a hilarious sight. I mean, what if you were like three rows back? How awkward would that be? <laughs> so anyway, 300 of them just go down on one knee. And then there's been a lot of uh, reasons that say why this is. Maybe that God was saying this because the ones that went down on one knee and kept their head up, they were more prepared. They, they were, they were uh, diligent and vigilant to make sure that nobody was coming up on them. Because if you go down on, on all fours and stick your head in the water, you can't see anything. And they couldn't see if there was enemies coming. And I don't know if that's the case. And other, other scholars have said, well, maybe it's because the, the ones that went down on, on one knee and brought the water to their, they were actually keeping their eye on Gideon. Maybe that's the case. Maybe God said, we're going to have both of these do this and whichever's less, I'm going to keep those and send the rest home. I don't know what, what was actually going through God's head. None of us really will. But we do know this. There was 10,000 and now there's 300. Now, things look bad with 32,000. Things looked even worse with 10,000. Now we have 300 guys that are left. Now, I, I'm thinking I'm one of the soldiers, and Gideon keeps sending all these people home. I'm wondering if his faith in Gideon is starting to, to lower a little bit. I don't know. It doesn't say. These are the things I think about. I, I think it would be tough to be one of the 300 that were left over. I mean, because at this point, Gideon looked crazy. And Gideon, he's probably, like I said, he's freaking out on the inside because this doesn't make any sense because so, all he can do is trust God. And, and we know that he still has a little bit of reservation because here we go in verse 9 through 14. It says, the same night the Lord said to him, because he's probably been freaking out for a while, so now it's the nighttime. He says, you know what, Gideon, arise, go down against the camp for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. And then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When the Gideon came, behold, the man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. I don't know what that guy ate. What kind of dream? Anybody ever had a dream like that? Pastry attacking a, a camp dream? Anything like that? This is weird stuff. Anyway, he has this dream. And if that's not weird enough, the dude sitting across him goes, I know what that means. That's the sword of Gideon. Looks just like a barley loaf. <laughs> I mean, this is something out of a Monty Python skit. People come and raiding a village with, with French bread. But it's enough for Gideon. He hears what, what God wanted him to hear. So at this point, you know, we're all, we're all like, look, Gideon, God went ahead and, and burnt up the sacrifice. He did the fleece one way, did the fleece the other way. Like, I know he's, he's kind of taking your numbers down, but like, why are, you so, why are you so afraid? Why don't you trust him? Why don't, why? Because I wonder, God knew that Gideon was going to take Pura and go down to the camp. But I wonder if God was disappointed if there wasn't a part of him that wanted Gideon to just have faith. I know when I read this, I'm disappointed with Gideon. And then I remember I've done way worse than that. But he goes down and, and God once again uh, proves that, that, that he is with him. And then we'll go ahead and finish up here in Judges 7, 4 through 7. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of camp. And at the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch, and they blew their trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. And then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in the left hands the torches, and the right hands and the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran, and they cried out and fled. And when they blew the three hundred trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the enemy. And the army fled as far as Beth. Chitta towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel, Meholah, and Tabith. You know, God may not do things the way we think that God should do things. 
But in this story, we get to see an amazing testament of God showing His power in the midst of whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance. You know, so many of us think that, that we're too weak to do something for God, but God wants to do something through you in spite of your weakness. Because if you were strong in everything, then you might say, it was me who did this. But if you're weak in it, then it can only be God. That's why Paul said that when I am weak, then I am strong. Because God working through him. See, God gave the victory to Gideon and the Israelites. And it was only in God's strength because this is the most ridiculous battle I've ever read of in my entire life. They, the, the only one that's crazier is when the two lepers head against the camp and they all ran away because they, they, they heard an army marching when it was just two lepers heading to the camp. So this one, Gideon shows up and God says, you're not going to need your sword. Head down there with some trumpets, some jars, and a torch. And they surround the camp and they blow the trumpets, 300 trumpets blow, and it freaks out an army that's beyond number so they start attacking each other and then run off. You see, the thing about this is that everybody knows it's God. There's no doubt that this is God. Nobody can say that Gideon's army of 300 armed with trumpets defeated this huge army. It had to have been God. It's amazing to me what God accomplishes if we'll just say yes and do what He wants us to do. They didn't even have any weapons. A trumpet in one hand, a torch in the other. And the huge army kills itself. All because they blew their trumpets when they were told to blow them. And they broke the jars when they were told to break them. God doesn't need you to be super talented. He doesn't need you to be super smart. How many of you can say amen and thank God for that? I know I can. He just needs you to say yes. To trust Him. To be obedient. To see what God will do in your life. Because you can be the lowest in your clan in the clan that's the lowest of all the clans and God can still use you to do amazing things. God completely set free the Israelites from the, the, the oppression of the Midianites and the Malachites in this one battle with 300 men and a guy crazy enough to say yes. A, God, a guy crazy enough to say, God, I believe you are who you say you are and you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And I guarantee you it wasn't easy for Gideon. Because you know how I know that? Because he was no different than you or I. Gideon wasn't a super saint. He, wasn't a, some, the, he was just a guy like, like any one of us in this room that had an experience with God and decided to say yes. And the reason, because that's the reason why he tested God so many times. Because he's like, what if it's me? What if, what if the devil's just trying to embarrass me? What if I'm just going to make a fool of myself? But God was faithful. You know what, church? If we will do these things, if we will just say yes, regardless of of what we think of ourselves or what the world thinks of us, you'd be amazed at what God would do through you. If you want to be a mighty warrior of God, just put your trust in Him. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet.